Well, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. If we haven't met before, let me introduce myself. My name's Tom, and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope. And as Tim mentioned last week, I kicked off a series called The Big Picture. And today we're going to be continuing that, looking at what God has called us to be as the church. What is he doing in the world? And us as a church kind of lining up with what he's doing in the world, getting a hold of his vision, getting a hold of his big plan, and finding our part to play in it. And last week we saw that the church... Uh, Here in Ipswich, Hope Church, we have a vision statement which is making Jesus famous in Ipswich and the nations. And we want to do this uh, through proclaiming the gospel, through raising up leaders, and through loving our town. And I want to particularly hone in on the first of those three today, namely proclaiming Jesus. And in the next 25 minutes or so, We're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn there now. Uh, The the book of 1 Timothy in the Bible is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a friend and co-worker of his called Timothy. Uh, The Apostle Paul was one of the early church leaders, wrote to his friend uh, Timothy, who's in a city called Ephesus in Turkey, uh, where a church had been planted. And he's writing to Timothy to instruct him on how to raise up leaders there, to how to uh, get the church healthy and to be all it's to be in God's plans. And in one glorious sentence, which we're going to read now, Paul gives some incredible uh, broad brushstrokes of what the church is to be. This is what he says in verse 14 and through to 16. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels, announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Now, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, the uh, leaders of the early church, they give several metaphors for what the church is to be, pictures that help us better understand all that the church is to be. And we need to kind of understand all of them in order to get the fullest picture. We can't just kind of have our favorite one and think, I'm just going to stick to that one. No, we need all of them. Elsewhere in uh, the scriptures, Paul, in places like um, Romans at 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as the bride of Christ. We're to be devoted to Jesus, just as a bride is devoted to her husband. We're to be uh, loyal to him. We're to be obeying him. We're to be uh, worshipping him with devotion uh, and passionately devoted to him. In places like Ephesians uh, chapter 5, we see that the... Sorry, the... Um, I've, I've just kind of given us the wrong references there. It's in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that we actually see the, the church as the body of Christ. The body of Christ where we have Christ as the head, where we each play our own uh, part as members of his body. None of us are redundant, none of us left out, all of us with a part to play. It's in Ephesians 5 where we see the uh, church as the bride of Christ. We see elsewhere, as we did last week, that the church is the temple of God, a people in and among whom God dwells by the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God on earth, in and amongst his people. And here in this magnificent sentence, we see three further metaphors of what the church is to be. We see the church as the household of God, the assembly of the living God, and the church as the pillar 
and the foundation of the truth. And we're going to look at all three of these today, but I want to particularly focus in on the last of those, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's firstly look at the household of God. We're all becoming rather well acquainted with our households at the moment. Some of you spending all day, every day in your house, um, maybe just for a short walk to the shops or a short walk around the block. And it might be that you're getting kind of fed up of your house and you're, you're seeing things you didn't see before when you were only there for a few hours each day before you go to bed. Now, God has in mind uh, something more than a, a physical building here. He's talking about a family. This is what God wants the church to be, a family, because we have him as our father. He has in mind here something much more than an organization. And the Apostle Paul here wants to hammer home that we are a family. We are not just like-minded people. We are actually brothers and sisters who have a perfect father. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, To all who believed in Jesus and accepted him and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the pinnacle of the message of Christianity. Not that we just have our sins forgiven. Not that we just get a ticket to heaven when we die but that actually we get adopted into God's family. We get, brought in, we get brought into God's family. We get a perfect dad forever. We get to know what God is truly like. And the great preacher of um, a couple of centuries ago, Charles Spurgeon, he said, in his own house, a man not only dwells, because he might do that in any inn, but there he feels himself to be at home, and therefore it is the place of his true manifestation. You do not see the man on the bench, for there you see the judge. Nor, do, nor on business, for there you see the trader. But at home, with the children, as one of them, you see the man, the father, the husband. You see his heart and soul. And God is not seen in all the universe with anything like the degree of clearness that he is beheld in the midst of his people. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying that it's us, the church, who get to see what God is really like. We get to understand his heart. We get to see him for who he really is. The world might be able to understand something about God through looking at his creation, seeing that he's powerful, seeing that he's creative, seeing that he is the one behind it all. But actually, it's we who have been adopted into his family, we who are part of the household of God that actually get to see what God is really like. We get to understand his heart for us. We get to understand that he is for us. But we get to call him Father. He has revealed to us something, and it, it, it goes on revealing, he goes on revealing to us his heart, who he truly is at his core. And he's the head of the household, and we, we come under his authority. We want to please our Father. And he's, he's our provider. He's the one who, who, who provides for our every need. He's working hard for us, working all things together for our good so that we have all that we need. And the church is, is his portion and his inheritance. We are the apple of his eye. I don't know if you know that. Dads, maybe in this last year, you've maybe spent more time at home than you ever have before. I hope you take time just to drink in what God's given you. I hope you take time just to drink in the blessing that he's poured out on you, because children are a blessing from God. I hope you take time just to see, wow, I don't deserve this. Well, God is taking time right now, just looking over his children, scattered although we might be. He's taking his time just looking over you, saying, wow, these are my children. They're still coming to praise me, still coming to spend time with me, even in these strange times. He's taking it all in. 
He's a perfect father. He's protecting us, providing for us. He knows what's best for us. And he's ambitious to see us grow and mature. He's, he's ambitious to see us thrive. And because we, we share a good and perfect father, we also are brothers and sisters in the same household. We have more in common with each other. We have something far more significant in common with each other than DNA. And the New Testament is full of exhortations to treat each other with that in mind. And in just a couple of chapters' time, Paul will say to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, this is how you're to live. In the church, he says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. He's trying to hammer home this metaphor and I'm sure we're going to dig deeper into this next week that we are family, nothing less than family, real family. We've got something really, really significant in common with each other. We've got God as our father. We've got Jesus as our elder brother. We've got the spirit of God dwelling within us. So we see the church as the household of God. We see the church as the assembly of the living God. That's what we see here in this uh, passage. The Greek word for church that uh, Paul uses in this passage means it's ecclesia. It means the assembly or the gathering of the called out ones. This is who we are. We're the, the called out ones. We're called out from the world. We're called to look different to the world and we're called to gather together. We're called to be together, which is not very easy right now. And we do believe that it's for the best that we choose not to gather as one big group right now for the good of our town. We believe it's temporary. We believe that right now that's the best thing to do. But we're called to be a gathering of the living God, a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. It's, it's hard to be conscious of that when we're scattered as we are. But the church is to be a gathering and it's to be a place of life, a place of life in the Holy Spirit, a place of people coming to know God for the first time. A place where people encounter his power and his presence. A place where people get healed. A place where the prophetic is flowing. Where God speaks to people into situations and for individuals. A place where God is truly moving in our midst. We sing that song sometimes. You are here moving in our midst. That is to be our expectation as we gather. We're the gathering of the called out ones. We expect miracles. We expect healing to break out. We expect people to get free from stuff. We expect minds to be changed on some things. And because it's his life that we have within us, and because he's going to live forever, the church will go on living forever. And so any kind of notion that the church is on its way out, any uh, idea that the church is going to just die out is completely wrong because this is the church of the living God and it will go on and on into eternity. Political parties are going to come and go. Different causes are going to come and go. Different hobbies are going to come and go. But the church of the living God will live on forever. And that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? That helps us to kind of get our head around what is to be our priority in this life. To build up the body of Christ should be our priority. To glorify him through the church should be our priority. Let's not speak disrespectfully of the church. Let's not, let's not allow ourselves to kind of moan about the church. Let us see the beauty that God sees and let us give ourselves to it. Let's give ourselves to seeing all that it can be. Let's be passionate about the church. 
This church, Hope Church, is imperfect. Every church in the world is imperfect. There's that old joke that says, even if you found the perfect church, the moment that you join it, it would cease to be perfect. We are not a perfect church, and yet God sees the things that we've just read out here. He sees it as his household. It's, it's a place of his dwelling by the Spirit. It's the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's his bride. It's his body. He's proud to own it as his body. Christ is proud to own the church as his body. That should change our mind on some things. That should change our way of talking and thinking about the church. And the final metaphor that Paul shares here, the one that we just want to hone in on a little bit more, is the church as the pillar and foundation of truth. Now, Ephesus was uh, famous for its temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana. And this temple was huge. It had ridiculously tall pillars that were 60 feet high. And they were set on a base that was already 10 feet off the surrounding area. So this was a huge temple. And it held up high worship to the goddess Artemis. I don't know what we might even have as an equivalent in this nation. You might think of St. Paul's Cathedral with its enormous pillars, this incredible structure. You might think of Nelson's Column in Trafalgar Square celebrating this great war hero that we have. Paul is saying here, this is the role of the church. The church's role is to lift up high Jesus for all to see, so that Jesus may be known, so that he might be celebrated and treasured. We don't have anything else to advertise. We don't have anything else that's good about us to advertise other than Jesus. Just as as pillars and columns hold up earthly heroes and speak of their great exploits, so we hold up Jesus. We champion the achievements of our conquering Lord. We champion the achievements of Jesus who, as we see in this great hymn that Paul kind of breaks into in this verse, who appeared in a human body, who was vindicated by the Spirit. He stepped into this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He went around healing people. He went around doing good. He went around teaching incredible truths. And then as he became more and more popular, opposition to him grew and he was nailed to a cross and he was killed and he was in the grave. He was lifeless for two days. And on the third day, he burst forth. What we've sung about this morning, he rose again. He, having died the death we deserved, he rose again. He burst forth to new life. And now, as we see in this hymn, he is being believed on throughout the world. And one day he will be revealed in glory. One day he will come again and every eye will see him. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're not here for any other reason than to make Jesus famous. And I've shared several times before, a prayer that has been on my heart for years now. A prayer that I found myself praying some seven years ago when we first moved to Ipswich. And I visited a couple of small groups, that's what we called them back then, a couple of small groups uh, one evening. And driving between uh, visits, I got completely lost. And I found myself driving through swathes of this town that I didn't recognize. And I just found myself crying out to God, praying, God, would you do such a work here, such a work of such significance that Jesus cannot be ignored? That he cannot be dismissed as irrelevant. That although some might revile him, that many would come to love him. That you would do such a work, Lord, that it it cannot be seen that Christianity is on the wane. But actually, 
Jesus is being treasured by thousands. I, I pray that and I still pray it. Our job is not done here, friends. We need to keep praying. Would you join me in praying? Jesus, would your name be made famous here? Would you be lifted high for all to see, for all to treasure, for all to know? Let that be our prayer. We want to proclaim him as the way, the truth, and the life. To proclaim that there is no other way to know your sins forgiven. To proclaim that there's no other way to know eternity with God. To proclaim that God is so willing to proclaim that God is so willing to forgive you in Christ. He's so willing. He's not reluctant. He's not like he's had his arm twisted by his son. God is so willing to adopt you into his family. There's no kind of mean and nasty God lurking behind the back of Jesus. Jesus has fully revealed the heart of the Father. And, and, and what we see in Jesus is a God that is so willing to draw people in, so willing to forgive, so willing to make you new. This is what we want to proclaim. We want to proclaim this to you if you don't know this Jesus. We want to proclaim it to the town. We've got an amazing God. And he has done all that we could not do to make us acceptable to him. To bring us in. To forgive us. To wash us clean. And to give us new life. We exist for nothing else. We've got no other reason to exist than to point people to Jesus. With a pillar. With a pillar of the truth. We're the pillar holding up Jesus to the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We've got nothing to be ashamed of. We've got nothing to be embarrassed by. Maybe that's something you know. Maybe you feel embarrassed about talking about Jesus to others. I believe God's going to break that today. I believe he's going to break some wrong thinking and some kind of fear that's going on in hearts. Lord, would you do that now? Would you do that now even as I speak? Maybe a step for you right now is I'm just going to, after this service, I'm going to decide, I'm going to tell some people, I'm a Christian, I belong to Jesus, I believe in him, I want you to know him too. Maybe it's, you need to get baptised and you've been holding off because you just know, I can't do that without my friends and family finding out and I don't want them to know because I'm embarrassed. There's a step for you today, I'm sure. There's a step for you, whatever it might be, but there's a step for you to walk out of that place of feeling embarrassed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You know Jesus. And he saved you. Lord, would you come and do something profound in hearts today? Lord, would you come and break fear off of people? The church, this church, will be like a lighthouse. Firmly rooted, firmly planted, lifting up high the light for the whole of the town to see. Do you, do you believe that? Is that your prayer? Will you join me in praying, Lord, would we really proclaim Jesus? Would we really lift him high for the town to see? Let's bring this just into land now. What, this, what is this going to look like for us as individuals? Well, it's simple really. We proclaim Jesus in our words and we proclaim Jesus in the way that we live our lives. We're always, we're always going to ensure that the gospel is at the heart of this church. We're always going to preach Jesus and him crucified. That's what the gospel is. It means good news. Jesus coming into this world, living the perfect life, dying in our place, rising again, ascending, pouring out the Spirit. We're always going to keep this front and centre of our church. We're going to do that on Sundays. We're going to do that through the Alpha course and whatever other courses we might uh, produce. We're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to keep the gospel front and centre. We're going to go to the streets with the gospel. might not be so easy to do that right now. People might run away thinking we're diseased. But in this next season, we're going to do that. We're going to go to people and say, you need to know Jesus. He, he loves you so much. 
We're going to do that through some life groups. We're going to do that. We're going to do it in so many different ways. We're going to proclaim Jesus. We're going to keep him front and center. But we're also going to proclaim Jesus in the way that we live. And a key to, to understanding this is that is understanding that believing the gospel isn't just the way into right relationship with God. It's not the way into the Christian life. It's not just that. It's actually the way in which we're changed as we take this truth deeper and deeper into our hearts. As we take that, that gospel, that good news, deeper and deeper into our hearts. And when we do that, that actually puts Jesus on display by the way we live. This happens in many ways. I want to draw out three very quickly. Three truths that when we take them to heart, when we actually take them deeper and deeper into our hearts, they lead to a change of, of living and actually display Jesus. They actually proclaim Jesus. And the first truth is the truth of justification. Christians are justified by God. Fully justified means we, 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 kind of, we have a status now that is just as if we had never sinned and just as if we had lived the perfect life that Jesus had lived. That's the status that we've been given. We cannot be more accepted by God than we already are. The one, who's, the one whose opinion actually matters... Listen to that. The, the one whose opinion actually matters, he looks on us with more than just acceptance. He looks at us with approval and with incredible passion. He, he really loves you. And it's his approval that actually it changes the way we live. We don't have to live to try and justify ourselves. So many people, even people who look like they've got it all together, they're living to justify themselves, to, to signal that they're really virtuous to signal that they do the right things and say the right things and think the right things because they're actually trying to justify themselves. Please, would you approve of me? Please, would you like me? Please, would you give me the seal of approval? But actually, we Christians, we, we needn't live like that because we're fully justified. We're fully embraced by the one whose opinion really matters. And that means we actually live differently in the, in the way we live amongst each other. We're not trying to prove something. We're not trying to prove that we've got something. No, we, we, we live in the acceptance of God. We're not trying to prove to the world that we've got something about us that's really special. No, because we, we know someone who is actually really special. And that changes some things. That, that catches people's eye when we're secure. You know, secure people are, are a rare breed these days. You, 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 even people that you think are really secure, deep down they're not. But we Christians, we can be secure. We can be secure in what God says about us. And that actually will lead to us astounding people. Wow, they look very different. They're not trying to impress me. So that's one truth that we take it to heart. We're going to proclaim Jesus. The other is, the second is in the area of forgiveness. We're forgiven people and therefore we forgive. And so when people wrong us, when people hurt us in some way, whether big or small, we're to be those that, in light of God's forgiveness for us, we forgive them. We are actually not only um, just kind of saying, well, I'm not going to take revenge, but I'm actually going to try and honour that person. I'm actually going to try and bless those who persecute me. I'm actually going to try and, as far as I possibly can, honour that person. That will look very different. As we take to our hearts the forgiveness that God has lavished upon us, we then can be forgiving people towards those who wrong us. And that will look very different. That will proclaim Jesus. That will cause people to sit up and take note. When we choose not to backstab people, when we choose not to talk badly about them behind their back, when we choose not to take revenge, it will look different. 
So in the way that we're justified, in the way that we're forgiven, we, as we take it to heart, we will live different lives that will proclaim Jesus. And thirdly and finally, in the way that we are reconciled to God, we're reconciled, we're brought into his family, but we're also reconciled to each other. And listen, this church is quite a mixed bunch. We have people from maybe five different continents, maybe six, I don't know, five different continents. We've got people from all kind of backgrounds, from very rich backgrounds to very poor backgrounds. We've got people of all kind of different uh, persuasions politically. We've got a real mixed bunch of people. And we're reconciled to each other. And, And when people see that, when people see you actually intentionally growing relationship with people that look very different to you, that will cause people to, to sit up and take note. Even people who aren't really looking, going out looking for anything, it will suddenly catch their eye and think, what? how do they have anything in common? Well, as I've already shared, we've got something that's far greater in common with each other than anything else that might bring people together, whether a football team or a political party or whatever it might be, a race. No, we, we, we have something that is binding us together. It's God as our Father. It's Christ as our elder brother. It's the Spirit living within us. And actually, as we are reconciled to one another, as we walk closely in community together, despite our great differences, centered on Jesus, it will cause people to sit up and take note. So we see how the gospel, how believing the good news of Jesus and taking it to our heart actually changes our lives and leads to people sitting up and taking note. It leads to proclaiming Jesus. Let's bring this into land now. We hold up the name of Jesus, but one day he will be held up for all to see. We see at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, coming back to this big picture, this is what it says in verse 7 of chapter 1. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, and even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. This is what Jesus says. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means I'm the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. One day every eye will see Jesus. One day he will be lifted high for everyone to see. And it says in this passage, this strange phrase... And the nations of the world will mourn for him. It says in other translations, they'll wail or weep. And what that's getting at is that there's going to be some who mourn because they didn't take a hold of Jesus. They didn't take a hold of him for who he really is. And now too late, they're realizing, wow, he really is all that I was ever searching for. And I, I want to appeal to you today. If you've somehow got a hold of this service, so maybe someone's invited you to come and join him. You need to know Jesus. You need to understand him for who he is. You, you, you need to come to see him as your Lord. You need to come to know him as your saviour. You need to throw yourself on him, to believe in him, to receive him. And he will give you the right to become a child of God. And I want to lead us in a prayer just now. That if, you've prayed, if you pray this with me, and you, this is the first time you've prayed this kind of thing. We'd love for you to get in touch with us because we want to help you in your next steps of what it is to follow Jesus. We want to help you to understand baptism and to know what it's like to be part of a church. We'd love to be in touch with you. So you can head to our website and fill in a, a, a connect card on there on the Contact Us page. We'd love for you to do that. 
But I want to lead us in a prayer now, and then we're going to have one final song from Corrie and May. If you guys could come and be ready to lead us in that. Let's, let's pray right now, shall we? And then I want to pray for us as a church as well. But maybe if you're, just, you're, you're watching on today and you just know, I need to give my life to Jesus. This is the moment for you right now. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, for too long, I know I've kept you out of my life. For too long, I've, I've tried to go on my own. I've tried to do all kinds of things to find satisfaction and happiness. And now I see you. I now understand that you came, that I could be made right with my creator. I now understand that you came, that I could be brought into a family with my creator. I want to say right now, I throw myself on you. I trust myself entirely to you. I understand that as I do that, as I, as I trust in you, you remove my sin and shame, all that I've ever done or said or thought that is wrong. And you give me new life. You make me a new creation. I give myself to you now. Help me to live for you now and always. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed that, we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. We'd love to help you in your next steps what it is to follow Jesus. I want to pray for us now as a church. Maybe you'd like to stand where you are. Let me just pray this. And maybe you'd like to amen where you are. Lord Jesus, we live to make you famous. We live to proclaim you. We live to proclaim the good news of your death on our behalf, of your resurrection, gloriously defeating death once and for all. We want to lift you high. We want to be like a pillar that lifts high a war hero, but we want to be even better than that. We want to lift high our great conquering Lord who has defeated death forever. We want to lift you high. Lord, we want to be known for people that are passionate about Jesus. We want to point all to you to say, Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus can save you. We want to ask you, Lord, that you would banish from within us embarrassment or shame or fear of what people might think of us. Help us to understand the one whose opinion really matters looks upon us and says, I am pleased with you. The one whose opinion really matters looks upon us and says, you are more precious to me than any jewel on earth. I pray that that would sink into our hearts now. I pray that that would sink in that we might be unashamed We might be unafraid of what people think of us and lifting high you for all to see. We pray that this church will be a glorious beacon of light in Ipswich as we serve this place, as we love this town, as we proclaim Jesus. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen.